Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pine Class Preachers. My name is Tom O'Neill. We also have Gabe Casper and we also have Josh Woodrow. You know, we've been doing this for a while, so you should know. Tonight, we're going to be talking about food. We love it. You love it. We like drinking. We like eating. It's all good. So we're going to be talking about that, how it applies to Christianity, if at all, and we'll go from there. Have a great night. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. That's referred to as throat singing. It's pretty popular, like in Mongolia. They love it there. You probably didn't know, it's Tom, because you're not as cultured. Of the show you didn't know you needed, or perhaps that even was, existed. That's true. But now you know, because if you're listening to <laughs> it, was, you know it exists. That was horrific. Whatever you guys just did with your throat thing, uh, that was terrible. Uh, we need to we need to get off that as soon as possible, and we need to talk about, as always, what do we have drinking? Now, we're on Google Hangouts here, and uh, I've been watching uh, Gabe repeatedly bring a Miller Lite to, <laughs> uh, up over in the screen, and why, Lord help Gabe? us if that's why? your drink. Actually, Lord help good us. news to you, Tom and Josh. That was my pre-podcasting beer. <laughs> uh <laughs> No joke. You were like my tailgating beer, for <laughs> glass preachers. I was I was warming up. My my real beer is a uh, Ziegenbach Texas Amber, uh, straight out of Texas. A uh, a good beer and is actually brought to me by great friends of the pod, uh, the Baker family. Uh, Sarah was on an episode and I was just over their house for dinner and I told them I was going to go record and they said, "Hey, we've got a beer for you." Oh, how and nice! And so they gave this to me out of the generosity of their heart. So thanks to the Bakers for the Ziegenbach Texas Amber. I'm normally not uh, an amber darker beer guy, but I'm pretty excited to give this a shot. Bakers, when you listen to this, if you want to send some to Chattanooga, I will not turn you down. Can you, mar- you, can you mail you drinking, beer in Josh? Well, uh, tonight, so I found this. I was walking through. See, out here in Tennessee, we're a little backward. So it just recently came to become reality that you can buy like wine and beer and other things in the grocery store. On a regular basis, so you have grocery yeah, stores. I, it's crazy. Usually, just we walk right to the fields and just kind of pick it ourselves, Tom. And we pick the cotton and make our own clothes. That's what we do. Whoa, Barefooted. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, no, I was walking through the beer aisle, trying to figure out what I wanted to drink tonight, and I came across this little brewery out of Nashville called the Fat Bottom Brewing Company, and I'm drinking their flagship ale, the Ruby Fat Bottom Ru- Brewing Company Ruby. It's American Red, pretty good. Beautiful, beautiful. Hermano Tomas, what are you drinking tonight? You know, just 
when I'm seeing you guys bring in these fantastic beers, I, I think I got to get back into the beer thing at least for for these episodes because tonight I'm going back to a staple. I'm going to the Big Ginger, some Irish whiskey, some uh, some bitters, and and some Sprite, and it's fantastic. It's literally but, called a Big you know, Ginger. It's called a big ginger. That's, that's that. ironic since you have no hair, so it can't be like some <laughs> double entendre about you having like red hair. I'll tell I'll tell you a really really quick thing here. Uh, in the cities, we have four Irish pubs that are that were all owned by the same gentleman named Kieran, and uh, they sold the big ginger, which is Irish whiskey. They they uh, they were the uh, what, what's the biggest Irish whiskey? Uh, Jameson. Jameson. Yeah. They were the largest exporter of Jameson whiskey in the world because of these four pubs and how many big gingers they sold. Wow. So the guy decides, with the help of Jameson, to create his own Irish whiskey called Two Gingers. Uh, so he's, to do that, he sells off his stake in these four pubs, which are packed every single moment of every single day. So you know he made millions and millions of dollars off that. Goes and makes this Two Gingers whiskey, changes that over. So now it's still a big ginger, only using two gingers. Uh, decides to sell the two gingers whiskey to uh, Jim Beam and their conglomerate. And so makes millions and millions and millions of dollars through that. And so little old Minneapolis up here has quite the history with our Irish whiskey. That wow. may have been a complete waste of time. but No, I liked eh, it. Well, I liked it. Everyone, everybody Well, learned. you know what, Tom? Yep. We're not talking whiskey tonight. We are talking food. And, mm. well... You guys should know by now. I like food. Everyone knows that, Josh. I know. It's so true. Your big belly. It is so true. It is so, so true. However, uh, tonight I want to share a little bit of history. And when I was thinking about planting a church in Chattanooga, uh, you know, I was sitting around probably eating something and trying to figure out the name of this new church. And I was like, you know, I want something really biblical, really focused and rooted in, you know, scriptural hospitality. And so I remember calling my best friend Gabe and saying, Gabe, what do you think about this church plant idea? It's going to be called Mamre. And Gabe, <laughs> what was your first response? Uh, I believe I said something to the effect that that sounded like a mammary gland or a, a breast. Well, and I remember calling you biblically Ill illiterate and reminding <laughs> you that I wasn't referring to an anatomical part of a woman uh, that feeds children, but... It was the name of the oaks in which Abraham welcomed the three angels, the three visitors. Ah, some three visitors. some even argue the pre-incarnate trinity. Indeed. Indeed they do. And it's one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. And so I said, what better way to represent biblical hospitality and to drive our church forward than to invite people to mammary. To take part in your mammary gland. Unfortunately, it sounds a lot like mammary which you're right, is a gland that produces milk. So that pretty much got shot down. And now that everyone feels really uncomfortable and it's kind of awkward, let's stop talking about Mamre and instead take a quick break, check out some good music from our band Kakua tonight. Have a listen. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light, God is light, no darkness at all. Uh, well, welcome back, everyone. That was Kakua. Again, I hope you uh, dug them. They're pretty, uh, pretty great sound coming to us 
Uh, from the West Coast, uh, Tom, of course, lives in the Midwest Coast. And uh, and uh, that was a joke because the Midwest doesn't really have a coast. Although, land of a, do, land of a thousand lakes or 10,000 lakes? Land of 10,000 lakes. 10,000. 10,000 lakes. We got way more coasts than the West Coast. That's true. Has. I've heard it has the most coastline. No if you way. If you add up all the coastline stuff. of those 10,000 lakes, it's more than the any coast. That's what I've heard. I yeah. don't believe that. That sounds like a lie made up by Minnesotans to make themselves feel better about living in Minnesota. Carry on. All right. Sorry, All right. Janet. So we're talking about food today. And uh, as we get into it, I want to just kind of lay out an incredibly brief theology of food, uh, if you can even call it that. I maybe just maybe just like a, a broad biblical picture of food for us. Uh, so so here goes. So first of all, let's just go like real simple. Uh, food is, of course, uh, something given to us by God. It's it's part of creation. He, he made it for us for our sustenance. We we see it in the beginning that you know Adam and Eve are are eating fruits and veggies that that God provides for them. And of course, you know the one they're not supposed to eat gets us into a whole world of trouble. Uh, but but that's going on. And so we kind of have that just sort of baseline thing that as Christians, we say, hey, food is a gift from God that he's given to us for our sustenance. And then in the New Testament, it's sort of multiplied in that uh, St. Paul reminds us that we uh, as Christians, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that we are, are meant to, to care for them as places, as vessels in which uh, the living God chooses to dwell and work through us. And so what we eat and how we eat, I think actually probably does matter more than we even think about as Christians, uh, because Paul gives our body pretty great dignity. And we know, of course, our food makes a big difference in our body. Uh, but one of the neat things I think about food in, um, in the New Testament is actually how it's used for mission. Uh, and, and Jesus really is the ultimate modeler of this, um, so, so Jesus in the Gospels, uh, he, he says this phrase, you know, his favorite way of, of referring to himself uh, is as the son of man, or as some people like to translate it, the human one, uh, whatever, we don't have time to get the into that. The human one? I've never heard have that. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard yeah, that yeah. interpretation. Yeah, I've read some translations that way. It's a long story. The well, it's the, I mean, it's not that bad. The, the whole idea is that, you know, Jesus' whole point is to show us what true humanity looks like. It's not his whole point, but that is a point of him. What's the he- we don't have time for that. What's the Hebrew say in Daniel? Because that's where the phrase comes from, or the, the, the if title If we were a from. train right now, we would be falling off the okay. rails. No, no, no. The, and that's not necessarily the only... You know what, Josh? I don't have time for it right now. That's we're where it comes along. from. It's where it comes from. No, no, no. It's where it could. No. It's not al- he's not always referencing that Daniel passage. No, I'm not saying he's always referencing it. That's where the first time Messiah is referred to as the Son of Man. That's where he gets Exactly. It. But every time he calls himself the Son of Man, he's not referring to that messianic passage. All I'm he's saying is in the Hebrew, does it say human one human or one. the Son of Man? That's all I'm saying. I don't know. You're the Hebrew guy. Oh, my. You have it on your forearm to tell everyone you have a past. I do have a past. Um, so. Coming to a Sunday near you. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate... Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, uh, and only three times does he use this phrase, the Son of Man came. And uh, he says it in Mark 10, 25, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, And then another time he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, what I love about that is those are Jesus' why statements. He's explaining why he came. But then the third time he says the Son of Man came is about how he came. And it's in Luke 7, 34, and he says, the son of man came eating and drinking. And so I love thinking about it. Like, why did he come? To give his life as a ransom for many. Why did he come? To seek and save the lost. How did he do that? Eating and drinking. 
So he didn't come with like a big angel army. He didn't come as a conqueror. He came sitting around the table eating food with people. And that's one of the incredible things you see about his ministry is like all the time uh, things happen around meals. He's always eating with people, hanging out. And, uh, and that's where so much of his ministry happens. And so there's this. So basically, Jesus is the Brad Pitt of history. No, he's like the Hugh Halter right. of history. Hugh Halter? Go on, Tom. Well, we got Brad Pitt in every movie that he's in. He is constantly eating. Every single scene that he's in, he's eating. So what you're saying is Jesus, whenever he's doing something. Yeah, is eating. Easier. Well, and then what's amazing though is you look at the you look at the early church and so much of their work centered around meals. Uh, there's a, the second century theologian Tertullian talks about how a church would gather, uh, and they, they'd have their agape feast is what they'd call them. And uh, can I share a quote from him? You guys cool? Dude, with that? I love Tertullian. Any church father is fine with me. Anytime, all the time. All right, all day, every day. Uh, so. He says this, so he talks about their agape feast, and he says, uh, our feast explains itself by its name. Uh, the, the Greeks call it agape, i.e. affection. Whatever it costs, our outlay in the name of piety is gain, since with the good things of the feast, we benefit the needy. The participants, before reclining, taste first of prayer to God. And then, as much as eaten as satisfies the cravings of hunger, as much as drunk as befits the chaste. And then he explains how they go into worship after that. So like in second century church, they, they'd have a meal with the hungry, with the poor, and then they'd go into worship. And so there's kind of this, this centrality of food uh, to the work of the church early on. And in fact, so much so uh, that one of the uh, sort of pagan historians in, in Roman times, and I can't remember who it was, but he, he had this famous quote about the Christians. And he said uh, that the Christians, uh, they share their table with everyone and they share their bed with no one. And it was kind of this idea of like how reversed that was to the Roman culture in which, you know, a lot of people were just sort of sleeping around with whoever they wanted, but you'd only eat with certain people that advance your social status. Whereas the Christians were like, hey, no, we're going to be devout to our spouses, but man, we'll share our food with anybody and everybody. And, uh, and, and so much we see is that's modeled after what Jesus did in his ministry. And uh, well, go on. Well, then, I mean, I mean, you even get to... Uh, you know, from a Christianity standpoint, you have kind of the ultimate food metaphor, if you will. And please correct me, but I mean, we we have Christ in the Last Supper, again, sharing a meal with his disciples and saying, I am the body, I am the blood. Uh, and it, it's bread and wine. And, and as Christians, we share in communion and we have this meal. We come to the Lord's, we, we call it the Lord's Supper. Or the we Lord's table. The table. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's really funny how that's such a visceral experience, eating and drinking, and sort of menial, you know, kind of boring, unorthodox, everyday kind of thing. Or I guess very orthodox, not unorthodox. But um, it's really fascinating to me how the church does not have that reputation of being this kind of visceral experience, but rather something that's very disconnected from reality. When, when you look at not only a biblical, you know, understanding of food and hospitality, uh, but in Christ's ministry specifically, you know, that sort of, that was the hallmark. That was uh -huh. the centrality of, of kind of his actions. 
and we've moved so far away from that. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying I don't want to like take us in that direction, but I'll disagree to just a little bit of a point. So the thing that we've been, as I've pointed, tried to point out over the last five or six episodes, is when when we do our shoutouts to where where we work and whatnot, we we get these huge shoutouts to Ax Leander and and Bridge City, and then we kind of forget that you know I have a job and work at places, and I work at Second Harvest, which is nation's largest food bank or one of the largest food banks. And one of the things that we have is we partner with a thousand different agencies or food shelves and almost to a fault every single one of those food shelves has been started by a church yeah no but yeah. okay i yes i get that however that's only one facet of the biblical understanding of food and hospitality and how we understand the relationship between food and our identity in christ because yeah Churches buy food shelves and food pantries and they give food to the poor. But what Gabe was describing, what Tertullian was describing, what Jesus was doing was sharing the table, not just sending boxed or canned food to someone else's table. And I think what that highlights is it's not just the food itself, but it's the experience as a whole, which demonstrates mm. the relationship that, that Jesus sort of instituted with those that he came to serve and ultimately to ransom. You know what I mean? Because like... You could go buy something at the grocery store and you have food on your table, but all you've experienced is an isolating event in which you walked up and down aisles and then maybe talk to your cashier versus if I invite you to my home, Tom, or Gabe has us, has us over like he did the bakers tonight, it's much the, – the food is sort of the, the afterthought or at least the least important thing, but it's the conversation, the relationship building, the, the experience as a whole. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that points to absolutely this act of eating together because that's where, I mean, as a family, when we sit down, it's, hey, how was your day? This happened. This happened. This happened. How are the boys? The boys tell me their stories of what was going on. Uh, that's where we share with each other, you know, certain truths or certain, you know, hey, I want, you know, we should talk about this because it's one time when we're sitting all, all together around one table. And, you know, it even became, you know, a more, you know, NBC thing of like, hey, want to make sure your family's OK? Eat one meal together kind of thing. Right. Like it shows how important that what thing is. What a pious is. family you have. Tonight, all of my children at one point were like taking their pasta and saying that they were biting a snake or like someone's head came off and they were eating someone's head. Oh, don't don't be mistaken. The word poop probably comes up no less than forty seven times at any okay, given Okay, that's just but, from Tom. Yeah, and that <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just from me. Dude, as an aside, uh tonight so our our youngest is almost three now, and if you've had any child between the ages of two and three, that two and a half year old time is just like the worst time in all of humanity. Um awful. You know, and so it's like no matter what, they just yell at you. And so tonight we our oldest daughter was gonna say the prayer before we ate. And instead, our youngest decides that he wants to scream and yell until he gets to pray. So we all know what's coming, but in order to pacify him, we're like, all right, Salas, go ahead and pray. And of course, son of a pastor, raised in a Christian home, this is what he prays. Dear God, pee-pee, poo-poo, fart head, uh, punch, him in the, punch him in the wee-wee, punch him in the oh. face, <laughs> rip his head off, amen. You know, and like almost immediately after, like all the kids just like, oh, they start giggling and then they start eating and Jenny's like, Dear Lord, have mercy on our family. <laughs> oh, and thanks for the food, too. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like Dude. just making it sacrilegious. 
Yeah, just a little bit. You know, go on time, Gabe. I want to I want to hit on something that you talked about right right when you kind of brought us into this kind of theology of food. Um, you talked about the word sustenance, mm-hmm. and then you talked about how Paul talks about you know our our, our bodies and how we should take care of that, and, and probably that there's a little bit more to it than just hey make sure to eat right. that we need to take care of our bodies. And one of the things that that at least I have seen, especially over the last 10, 15 years, but I think we've seen this kind of evolution of food that has gone from sustenance of caveman just hunting and killing whatever they could find to food almost being a designer status symbol. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that unless it's organic, locally sourced artisanal. You yeah, know, like it comes from yeah. a juice bar. Have you ever seen? Do you guys watch Portlandia? Love Portlandia. Yeah. The chicken, Have you the chicken seen episode? the one? Yeah, the chicken episode. Oh, it's the best one. Where they like, they're like, could you tell us a little bit more about this chicken? And they like, <laughs> and then they end up taking a like field trip and, like to the chicken take... farm, and they want to know its name and its mom, and yeah, it's awesome. But but you know, I, I get that to a point. Like, hey, an organic food source is better than my hormone injected chicken that was way too big for its cage, you know, or this strawberry that is somehow the size of my fist, you know, like that's not, that's not real. Right. But, but yet, you know, we are, we are told to take care of our bodies and, and, and eat good things. Like how, how does this play out? Cause I, I almost feel like when I, when I, sometimes when I eat food, I'm like, Oh, this isn't organically sourced. I am almost shameful. You know, I feel like some people are almost shaming me because I ate something that wasn't organic, locally sourced. Yeah. 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 Well, and let's be clear for our good listeners here real quick. Uh, when you talk about like organic, locally sourced, you're saying, uh, you know, it's it's better uh, for you. Not necessarily better tasting. I mean, give me the MSG all day, right? Like, let's, let's be clear on that. <laughs> Yeah, but um, no, man, and and I think that's it's a good question, and I don't, I just I don't know that we wrestle with it enough as Christians um, because it does seem a little bit more like a trivial issue, right? Like I don't see my like in a world where mass shootings happen every other week, I don't see myself getting up on a Sunday and being like, now. The good Lord has created us, so eat your fruits and veggies and make sure they're locally. You know, like I'm not I'm not going to do that. It's just not going to be a high priority list for me. But, uh, you know, I think a big part of this podcast is for us to get into some of these nooks and crannies of life and and how theology and God's word sort of plays a role in that. Uh, So all that being said, dude, I don't know. I don't know what the line is. Right. Like like one of the seven deadly sins that we don't ever talk about. uh, But, you know, back in medieval times, one of the seven deadly sins was gluttony. Right. Was was a disproportionate amount of eating was not doing it right, was not treating your body right. And so I think there's there's precedent for us as the church to recognize um, that there's a right way to uh, enjoy God's gifts and and a wrong way that that we're called to enjoy everything in moderation. So, so I, to me, there are just so many different facets to this because there is, um, okay, it's being a good neighbor, which God calls us to do, mm-hmm. to eat locally sourced food. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it is probably doing my body good to eat more organic food instead of stuff that is sprayed with chemicals that um, is injected with hormones, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. Um, however, there's the flip side to this, that if every chicken was free range, if every cow was free range, if, if we only did this, you know, that we wouldn't be able to feed the amount of people that we are able to feed. Right. Because if you want free range chickens, you need like 80 acres to, for every four chickens, you know, but we need to feed people and we have an increasing population. And so we need, and, and, and also as you know, Americans, we have way more food than we need. So we send stuff over to other countries that maybe don't have as much food as they need. So there's, there's that piece, you know, and then there's the piece of, this week is restaurant week in Minneapolis, which means we get to go to all the best restaurants in town for a quarter of the price. It's the only time I've ever been and to Fogo de Chao. There you go, right? And so we went to a restaurant last night that called Burrow. Fantastic restaurant. Shout out. Burrow. Um, Listen, Burrow and all of your Yelpers. <laughs> but, like, we spent probably way more money than we should have on a meal compared to the rest of the world that doesn't have that. Is that being a good steward when it comes to when you just talked about gluttony? Mm -hmm. I didn't eat a ton. It was a very, you know, it was very fancy food. So very small portions and things like that. I wasn't being a glutton, but was I being a glutton in what I paid for well, it? Let, mm -hmm. let me, there's a couple things as you guys have been talking that have come to mind. Um, and, I'll just do, I don't know, I'll mention both very quickly. But on the one hand, like, why is it that we seem to think that this is a new phenomenon? You know what I mean? Like, think about even when Jesus was eating and drinking, when the Son of Man came eating and drinking, there were still, like, shepherds who raised flocks of sheep simply to be brought to slaughter, to be killed, and then sold at the market to give to people. And like you said, Tom, yeah, they— they didn't have as massive of a population globally as we had today, but there were still some shepherds who probably found ways to, you know, get their sheep fatter or to make sure that they weren't going to taste, you know, nasty or something like that. There's still the kind of this food economy, I think, that that has has happened and been part of society from the beginning. You got some people who bake the bread and they bake it in mass. And I'm sure they cut corners. They find ways to do that. And it's always been the case. And so what we're seeing, I think, is just as our as our globe continues to expand population wise and the need to provide food for that like we've been trying to come up with the best way we can i don't think that the guy who invented pesticides was thinking i want to poison people he was probably thinking how can i make sure that none of this produce goes to waste how can i make sure these tomatoes don't die or get eaten by bugs so that i can feed people who want to buy this and i mean i know he wants to make money and everything right but I, I think that we're sort of questioning – all of a sudden within the last 50 years, we're questioning motive of every person who provides some type of food. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And, and, I, and I disagree with that to some extent. But then my other point that I wanted to make was we've always historically gotten food from places that it's not grown. I mean think about Joseph and his family. When Joseph, you know, became second, you know, second hand man to Pharaoh, and there was a famine in Israel, where did all of Israel come to get their grain and food from? Egypt. Egypt. You know what I mean? So Egypt had stored up. I mean, given this was like a biblical prophecy to Joseph, and it was for a reason. But Egypt had stored up seven years of essentially gluttonous gathering of grain, 
stored it in order to make it through seven years of famine. And that way, these neighboring countries were able to come in their time of need to get grain and get the food necessary for life. So I think on the one hand, you know, there there's always this global economy of food that I think is very providential by God to hopefully facilitate, um, you know, like a, a diminishing of hunger, at least in some, you know, some places or among even residents of, of our own country. Yeah. Well, and I, as you're talking, I was thinking about like, you know, do you ever have it where like, if you didn't finish your dinner when you were a kid growing up, like your mom said, you know, there's children starving in China. They're like, all the time, all the time. Right. And of course, anyone who spends like three seconds thinking about that understands that that logic makes no sense. Sorry, mom, but it doesn't. Right. Like, I was, if I don't eat my vegetables, it's not like you're sending it to this starving child. It's not happening. Uh, and, and and so part of it gets tricky because it's like we do have an abundance here. And those of us that have access to food, of course, that's fine. So I don't think it's gluttonous for Tom to go to a nice restaurant. Like do it all you want. Um, yeah. I'm sure at those agape feasts, it wasn't just like, hey, let's bring our crappiest food, our porridge or whatever that we eat every day. I would imagine it's like a potluck. You know, you bring something good like that mac and cheese down here in the south that like literally will clog your arteries every single bite that you take. But on like by definition, it's probably gluttonous. However, because it's a special occasion, we sort of choose to ignore what isn't really good for us because it tastes Well, better. I think it's – I think it's also an expression of, of praise and thanksgiving. I mean, I, I, when we were down in South America leading mission trips and we were talking hot about, dogs. you know, hot dogs. Yeah. But when you come back to, to America and, and you see all these things that you have and you like, there's this reverse culture shock of like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I have a 40 inch TV and they have nothing. I can't believe I have five pairs of jeans. And I have nothing. Instead, we need to, think a little bit about how God has provided for us. And so, especially for us here in America, we, we can, we can praise God and say, look, I can go to a restaurant and drop this amount of money and, and eat this really fantastic meal. And I'm going to come home the next day and I'm going to go to my refrigerator, which is filled with food and it can be great. Uh, which I, you know, I think we know that around the world, that's not the case. And so I think that's why we have this discussion is, is it gluttonous because I can, or is it gluttonous because I'm not doing anything about other countries? Hmm. But, but then I, then I hear things like, you know, whenever we hear about people who can't, who can't feed themselves, who don't have enough food, we automatically think of Africa, right? Like that's the first continent that comes to mind. Sure. But then I've also heard from people who have actually spent time in Africa, and Josh, I know you've spent quite a bit of time there, that Africa can actually feed itself. It's got a ton of food, but there's just a ton of problems. I mean, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, one of the main problems is Western countries dumping crappy food at an extremely cheap and or free rate into entire continents. So while we were over there – there are a lot of – I mean obviously like colonialism plays a part in this because when the British Empire pretty much colonized the entire world, you know, there's a little bit more freedom of access in terms of food and then hence charity work and all that kind of stuff, which sort of opened the doors to continents like Africa. But here's the big problem. So let's just say um, – well, let's look at the like Ebola outbreak uh, recently, OK? People from 
very well-meaning countries like the United States, the UK, other places in Europe, even China, uh, India for that matter. What they'll do is they will say, okay, we need to provide food and basic necessities of life to these people who are suffering. But what they'll end up doing is is sort of flooding the market with so much cheap food, uh, you know, giant 50-pound sacks of rice or, um, you know, prepackaged meals or beans or, or anything like that. But what ends up happening is then you flooded the market and essentially squashed the local economy because then why is a guy who just spent hours and hours and hours hoeing his field to get five tomatoes to sell at the market to then buy the beans and rice for his family when he can just go down, sign a piece of paper from, you know, USAID or, you know, the Red Cross or, you know, Oxfam or something, and he can get like 300 pounds of rice and then he can go slang those for some cash. You know what I mean? Like, so... The time that I've spent over there, when I, when I speak to communities, one of their uh, – or one of the, the most negative impacts they see of world aid is we uh, – or at least I, when I say we, I mean those countries of plenty. When a disaster hits, we say, okay, the more food, the better. Let's dump all this stuff into this region. And to a certain degree, that's good because you'll in the short term feed hungry people. But in the long term, it has, a, it has this massive detriment. Because it essentially then eliminates the need for locally sourced artisanal organic produce that people used to be providing. And then they just give it up because they're seeing free food. And it's it's bad food sometimes. Uh, it's just sort of run-of-the-mill food, like, like I said, sacks of rice. And so that's the trouble. It's like we want to be charitable to our neighbors. We want to provide, uh, at least from countries that, that have the ability, provide in times of need. But what we don't think about is the long-term repercussions of what that need does. And then when we're like, oh, now all of a sudden, the Africa doesn't have enough food to feed itself. Man, what's wrong with them? Like, I can't believe that they, they can't figure this out. But it wasn't necessarily their fault in the first place. It was this influx of charitable giving that eventually drove them and their economies to no longer produce the food necessary to feed themselves. So there's like this balance of relief and development, right? Where we really like the idea of relief, but development in which, you know, you're quote unquote teaching a man to fish, uh, there's a drop off there that doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, exactly. It'd be like, you know, and we do it here in the States too. You know what I mean? In communities struck yeah. by like tornadoes or hurricanes or anything like that. But it's, it's much more, you know, exaggerated when you get to these countries that have suffered tsunamis or massive earthquakes um, and that kind of thing. But like if Gabe, if you were like, hey, Josh, you know, if we were neighbors and you're like, hey, my power went out and everything in my refrigerator went bad and spoiled and I came over with a U-Haul truck full of food and I gave it to you and then you sold it to your neighbors and kept the money and realized that you could get another truckload of food in three months, then why would you have any need to go work, to go purchase other groceries, um, you know, or even for any of your neighbors to go work or purchase other groceries when you know you can just come to me and get a truckload full of food on a regular basis and say, oh, well, I'm hungry. I, I can't do this. You know, my fridge. All so there's like dependency that gets built up. What's up? There's dependency that gets built up. Yeah. And unfortunately, we like to blame those who suffer for a dependency that those with plenty have created. Dude, and this may take us down a road we weren't planning on tonight, but but I want to ask you about that because I, I wrestle with that because what's the alternative? 
right? <laughs> because the alternative is kind of this like callous, like, well, let's hope they pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what else. And you they do. don't have bootstraps. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like, um, I don't know if you heard about this. It, it wasn't Tom's, but it was another, it was like another organization that was doing shoes in, and I don't think it was South America. I think it was like in India or something. And they said, oh my gosh, you know, they had a group, a, a team of whether it was like church missionaries or, you know, businessmen or whatever. And they went to one of these countries in the slums and they're like, oh my gosh, no one has shoes. We've got to get people shoes. And so they started sending in this massive, massive amount of shoes. And what they failed to realize is there's a reason that these indigenous peoples don't wear shoes because they lived in extremely wet Amazonian environments. I think it was like Papua New Guinea or something like that. And so as these kids and these adults were wearing these shoes that this, you know, this, this well-meaning organization sort of flooded the market with, they started getting things like, you know, uh, what is that like trench foot and gangrene because their feet were essentially rotting inside their shoes and they had lived for, you know, centuries without any type of footwear because they didn't need it and it was actually detrimental to their health and yet a very well-meaning group of people coming from the outside said oh look at these poor people they don't have shoes let's give them something that they need or at least what we perceive that they need and it eventually ended up hurting the health of the individuals and the communities versus helping them out you know what i mean so it's like yeah it's a balance and there's some great organizations out there that do a good job of you know trying to facilitate empowerment and uh, you know rebuilding of infrastructure so that that kind of stuff doesn't happen. But for the most part, it's a much easier fix. And I think this, at least for my opinion, is, is really the crux of, of the whole argument. It's an easier fix to send over boatloads, you know, freighter, like ocean line freighters full of rice and beans that don't really inconvenience us, but make us feel like we're solving the problem than to actually go to those countries and say, yeah, you know what? I will eat and drink with you. I will walk alongside you, and let's figure out how to work this thing out together. Like in my analogy, if your fridge and so th- spoiled, it would be best if I gave you some food for a week and then came over and said, "How can we fix your fridge?" And let's yeah. let's figure out how to fix it together. So, like, and, and I mean, and I think maybe this is what brings us to to hopefully a helpful point with food is that uh, it's about the relationships formed around it. It's about being on level field around a meal. It's about sharing meals together. And that's, I mean, and that's the whole thing with Jesus, right? Is that he crossed all sorts of socioeconomic boundaries um, and class boundaries with the people he ate with. And that that's the nature, the model for us, hopefully as Christians is not just to drop food off, though there's a, a place for that in terms of relief. Absolutely. But in our daily lives, to be extending our actual tables, and this is not a spiritual metaphor, this is literal, uh, our actual tables uh, to to those in need of food, but that we're sitting at that table with them. Well, and how many, I mean, if you look at the Gospels, how many times did Jesus just feed in mass? Twice. Mm-hmm. When he fed the 4,000 and when he fed the 5,000. And even then it wasn't like, oh, they're hungry. All right, let's give them something to feed, you know, give them something to eat. He used the, you know, sort of the means or transmission of food to also transmit the, you know, the, the gospel proclamation of who he was and why he had come in the first place. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, and, and that's, I think that's sometimes where we get it, where we fail to look close enough as the church is we think that just feeding is kind of the end of it. But 
Jesus only fed hungry people a couple of times. The rest of the time, he attended their table and sat at their table and shared a meal with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that's, and that's what created the opportunity to get into conversation for him to share his truths that he wanted to share to people. Um, it's the basis for the show that the three of us are metaphorically sitting around a pub table talking and of whatever, whatever is of the topic of the day. And, and it's going to come back to hopefully what, what Christ has to say for us. Um, you're going to make me cry, Tom. I think you're going to that... make me cry. I know. I know. Just just let the tears I flow, buddy. You. I love you um, so much. We'll, we'll let you go. <laughs> I just want to hold you right now, we'll... Tom. I want to hold you and yeah. love you. I call I call Big Spoon. Uh, I think on that note, what we can do is we can go to break. Uh, we're going to come back and we're going to bring... Uh, I'm not going to say a food expert. We're going to we're going to talk about a guy who or we're going to bring in a guy who really loves donuts. Uh, but before then, we're going to hear a little bit more music. At the start was the word and the word was with God. At the start was the word and the word was with God. At the start was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was God, He was God, the Word was God. Well, welcome back. That was a, another track from the band Kukua off their new album, Vandalista. <laughs> That's German, if you didn't realize it. And it means, what does it mean, Dave? Traveling Light. light. Traveling, Traveling light. light. That's right. And that yeah. mysterious voice from that uh, you know, sweet West Coast is Dave Matsumura. He's oh, our yeah. guest for tonight. Uh, I met him only a few weeks ago, so this could get weird. But he's pretty cool, and so I doubt that that's going to happen. And uh, Dave is not only a worship pastor at a local church out in San Jose, California, um, but he is the Santa founders. San, no, he leads worship in Santa. Whose friend is this, Gabe? Sorry, is this your friend? Sorry. No, it's sorry. not your friend. So let me do the intro. Sorry, carry on, carry Dave, on. Dave, I'm so sorry that you had to experience that so quickly. It'll come later, but it came early tonight. Anyway, um, yeah, so he founded Kakua. And, well, more importantly to our topic tonight, he actually wrote a blog about donuts while he was traveling with the band, uh, highlighting the best donut hotspots in each town, got featured on a BBC – was it a BBC radio show? It was uh, their website. I got interviewed. They were doing an article on uh, the, the United States donut industry. Dude, and they so saw legit. my blog, and they figured that I was the most uh, the online leading expert, so they consulted wow. me about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so legit and so appropriate. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, welcome, Dave. 
Thanks. Welcome good, to Pine Glass Yeah. Yeah, man. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and Kakua and more importantly, the donut blog. Okay. So, um, Kokua is a Hawaiian word that means help. Uh, my dad is from Hawaii and, uh, and I play the ukulele. And so I decided to call the band Kokua and our goal is just to help people, um, connect with God through music. And, uh, we're just releasing a new album right now, which we've been working on for two years. So I'm really excited to get that out. Um, and I think it's the best, the best work I've done yet. Um, I'm really yeah, proud set, of it. And setting stoked. the bar high, Dave. Setting the bar high. Well, you haven't heard my other work, so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all right. But, um, but yeah, so like a while back, um, probably 2009, I was I was touring with this band. Actually, let's go farther back. So back in like the year 2000, I was working at the summer camp in Santa Cruz, the Santa Cruz Mountains, and I was helping uh, teach surfing. And so what we would do, like the other guy had been doing it years before me, and he set up this like awesome deal. So we went down at the beginning of summer to this local donut shop that was really good, open 24 hours. And we told them, hey, we're going to be bringing 12 kids surfing every morning. And if we bring them to your shop, will you give us instructors free donuts? So we set up this deal for the whole summer. We got free donuts every morning. Was that at Farrell's? Yeah, Farrell's Donuts. Best buttermilk bar I've had in years. Yeah, it was, it's great. Although, you know, the, the bummer is like back then it was run by this guy named Nada, but now um, they've sold it and the quality has gone down. Although it's still pretty good, like you you witnessed just a few weeks ago. But uh, Nada was like, the bar was high, man. With Nada. What? Okay, what, what exactly was the difference, I guess? Because that was a pretty darn good donut. Well, I mean, I should, I should know since I'm like the online leading Honestly, I don't eat buttermilk donuts that, that much. So maybe they have the best buttermilk milk donuts. Shame on you. Shame on you. Know, dude, I don't know. But give me a give me the basic glaze, dude, and I'll and I'll just tell you all about it. So, so, anyway. what did, so what did you do? Like you just was it always trying the glazed donut every time well, you guys went around or what? That summer was great because every morning we were down there and I have tons of donuts. I'm surprised I didn't just blow up like a blimp but we were surfing every morning too so that, that makes sense um but later okay fast forward now that was year 2000 2009 i'm touring with this band um called future of forestry i was playing in the band we were playing at this church and uh wait you pro- played in future of forestry i know future of forestry i know yeah. them too wait what you didn't tell me hold on a second what? you didn't, didn't tell me that you toured future <laughs> of forestry I when I, I, you. Just, I you know you gotta you gotta withhold a few things you know just Throws just blame it on humility. You're a humble well, guy. Yeah, exactly. All right, so you're touring with Future Forestry 2009. Yeah, and and I like we set up, and I needed a cup of coffee, so I walk across the street to this grocery store, and then next door to this grocery store, there was this little donut shop called Mom's Donuts. And it said, like on the window, it said, Chinese food, lunch, and dinner specials. And I was like, what the heck? Like donuts and Chinese food? And then I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. I got to take a picture. And then I realized, like, wait a minute, I've I've studied donuts for a whole summer, like every day, like. Yeah. And then the next summer we did it again too, like back in 2000. I was like, I love donuts, like I need to start a blog about donuts and just write about this shop. And then that morphed into like as we toured around, I started seeing donut shops everywhere, and I realized that the donut industry is a very very solid, stable industry. There's like a donut shop, like you don't you maybe don't know it, but if you look out for it, they're everywhere. 
it, Dude, is this still relevant when we're i mean is it it seems so counterintuitive when everybody is so focused on eating healthy, no carbs, you know, organic, things like that. Nothing about a donut says organic, eating healthy, or anything like that. Well, but you're saying they're still going strong. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I think, I mean, to go political, like I told you I might do. Do it. Do it. R-N-C-N-C-L-E. R-N-C-N-C-L-E. Of all my friends that are Republicans, I've talked, you know, I've talked to these friends and I'm like, dude, do you support Trump? And they're like, no. And so I go like, how the heck does Trump get up there? Kind of the same thing. It's like all these people are like gluten free and this and that. I'm like, how do these donut shops survive? But somehow, dude, there's like undercover dude. people. I don't, I don't know, bro. But That's a good. great parallel, man. But I was thinking, okay, I was thinking parallel. about this today. I was like, you know how like a donut, you know that a donut's bad for you, right? I do. Like we all know that. I mean, but it's so good, but it's bad. But right. um, I was thinking you like you walk in and you got your options. You got your like cinnamon roll mm-hmm. or you got your, uh, give me a, what's a donut? What's a really good donut you like? Buttermilk like, bar. The okay, only butter, good you, donut. Okay. I so, like a maple glaze. Okay. Like Ooh. let's say maple oh. glaze and like a cinnamon roll. And you know, they're both bad for you. Yeah. But you got to leave with one, right? You got, you have sure. to have one. And it, I feel like that's our political landscape right now. We're in like political donut shop right now. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Okay. Okay. Then let me, hold on. Let me ask you this, Dave. All right. So now you have to, t- so what kind of donut is Donald Trump and what kind of donut is Hillary Clinton? Oh, bro. Yep. Yep. Oh, You're the man, expert in America. BBC yeah. interviewed you. Yeah, seriously. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm going through the list of donuts in my head right now. Um, you know, have you guys ever had a French cruller? Yes, I, I was about French to cruller. say that. Please tell me you're going to say Donald Trump is like a cruller. Well, I was going to say that like... Gabe, are we, are we going to let this happen? Dave, I'm <laughs> going to start voting for Trump? I'm not, no, I'm not saying that, I'm not, eh, well, take the word French out of it. It's just the type of donut. It's not nothing to do with the French. Sure, but, sure. Um, what I was thinking is that, you know, you see that thing and it looks so amazing mm-hmm. and it, and then you like bite into it and it's all fluff and air. Like you would think yeah. that there's maybe more like someone who's never had Ooh. one before. And they're like, Ooh. Oh, and so I was like, Oh, that's kind of like both candidates. Like, Hey, <laughs> they just like lot. Like, I don't know. They lie. Getting political, not- but not taking sides. I like that. Yeah, you know what I mean? I just keep hoping for like, for that, like cinnamon twist to come out, like a third party just popping so out. Is, somewhere. is Gary Johnson, like a donut that was baked with weed in it? Is like a, <laughs> like a, a special donut. It's a brownie. Uh, yeah, that, hey, he's the brownie. Ralph, what about Ralph Nader? I feel like he would be the old fashioned, but Probably. it's always it's it's never sexy or glamorous, but it's always pretty good. <laughs> Dave, your yeah. donut political comparisons may have been the best thing to ever happen to this podcast. <laughs> so so it we is, thank man. you for that, sir. It is true, but I do have a question, and okay. I guess this goes out to all of you guys. Um, yeah, you know. I hear this a lot in terms of healthy food circles, you know, that sort of like don't eat what tastes good. Um, And I'm not just making fun of kale, all right, and kale salads because I actually enjoy kale. It's got it coming. And and many other greens. But like – so Dave, you said it a couple times. You know, like donuts, they look so good. They taste so good, but you know you're not supposed to eat them. And so I just wonder like where did that come from because there's a lot of things that taste delicious that – People would say that's sort of bad food for you. You know what I mean? Like 
butter or oils or sugars and, and all this kind of stuff. Is it just simply because of the excessive use of those types of food items that lead to kind of like what we were talking about earlier, some gluttony, or is it that we need to kind of go back to this, I don't know, kind of like vegetarian state? Hmm. Dude, hold on, Josh. I wouldn't mean where did it come from? I'm kind of confused by your question because the reality is like eating potato chips is bad for you came from like the fact that if I eat a bag of potato chips, I'll be fat and die. Like, I mean, no, but yeah, if you eat, no, not if you eat one bag of potato chips, I'm just saying like the fact that when we're talking about donuts, one of the things that Dave said was, you know, they're not good for you, but they taste so good. And so why do we have to preface eating one donut or something like it by saying, you know, it's not good for you. Um, but I want to eat it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can eat all things in moderation. You just you're not going to go eat a stick of butter, obviously, but you can throw you know a little smidge on a piece of toast or something. I'm just saying there there's typically the, I know like, Dave's from Wisconsin. They kind of just eat butter. Don't you guys like churn butter for fun? Just like stand there with your cows sure. and milk and then just it. scoop it up by the handful and just eat Easy it like an ice it. cream cone. Yeah, it's awesome. All I'm asking is like, is is it that bad? You know what I'm saying? Like food that we know isn't healthy for us, but we enjoy it. And I think that gets to the, you know, sort of like if God created a lot of these things. So if you look at a donut, it's yeast, water, flour, egg, um, milk, you know, it's sugar. Like sugar. Okay. So these are all things that were put on creation by God and we've used it to make a delicious thing called a donut. Mm. Should we feel guilty about eating things like a donut or should we feel guilty about eating things like cake? And what I'm saying is I feel like recently it's been this trend to say, oh, you ate a donut instead of a, you know, kale and carrot juice shake. You suck at life. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. That's all I'm saying. It wasn't anything like deep or philosophical. I'm just saying, let me eat my donuts. Yeah, I should have known <laughs> it was shallow. Yeah, no, I think, you know, sense. I was thinking about that too. I think it's that moderation thing because – uh, Dave, you just said you had a donut blog where you ate tons and tons of donuts. <laughs> well, to be honest, it's it's tapered off. Um, you know, for a while there, we were eating quite a bit of donuts, but we were <laughs> but we were also surfing just as much. So if you, know, you exercise so. a lot, you can eat terrible, terrible food, and your body will end up okay. I mean, isn't that what they tell you? I don't know. <laughs> I found that to be true. But then, you know, it's, it's all relative. I mean, because what's, what's working out a ton? I mean, you, you walk, you get out of bed every morning. That's got to be some work, right? That's well, and actually, part of my day. Well, and that's really interesting <laughs> you say that because, you know, I, I think it's a myth for, you know, fat people like me who say that, well, you know, <laughs> Tom just has a, a, a faster metabolism. Although I think it is certainly – I think it is true to a certain extent because – There's definitely truth to that. Yeah, you know, because like I was – my brother-in-law, you know, Rayshawn was on our last episode, and he was here in town with my sister. And like that dude at 11 p.m. killed like three Wait, bowls of cereals, a bag is of – Rayshawn – oh, sorry. Is he your black brother-in-law or your white brother-in-law? He's Rayshawn. my black brother-in-law, Gabe. Oh, okay. Just make sure. Okay, go on. Okay. And just because he's from – African descent doesn't mean that he has a fast metabolism necessarily. Although I, wasn't I saying that. Yeah, you did say that basically. Rayshawn, if you're listening, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry <laughs> for the perpetuated racism on this podcast. Dave anyway, is a racist. 
Anyway, so like Rayshawn is like super skinny, you know what I mean? And he out ate me and then at night had like three bowls of cereal. And I was thinking to myself, I hate you because you're sitting on the couch just as much as I am and you can eat three times as much as me and you weigh like one third as much as me. That's true. I mean, and so I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just feeling really bad about myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, Josh, let me ask you this though. Cause I've always wondered this about you. Were you ever skinny? Uh, yeah. In high school and when I was in college and I was sur- ironically enough surfing every day, but even then I was not ever as skinny as like you or Tom or even Dave for that matter. You know what I mean? Like my entire life, I played sports, multiple sports, two, three, you know, two, three, four sports a year. And when I was in college, I was surfing all the time, eating terribly, uh, you know, all kinds of donuts and breakfast burritos and stuff. But even then, like I would say at even my most peak physical fitness, I was still over 200 pounds. Hmm. So, you know what I mean? So it's like, even if I was working out a ton and just eating the same kind of foods as, as some of my other friends, I still weighed probably, I still probably had 30 or 40 pounds on them. It makes me think about like, I'm going to go deep here. God, like God has made us all for different purposes and made us with different gifts and eating donuts at like 12 AM is just not a gift that you were given. Mm. Is that supposed to make me feel good or make me feel worse, Dave? That's really good. Because I love eating donuts no matter the time of day. I mean, so. and, and like in our culture, everyone wants to be like, like have their own say of who they are and what they are and this and that. And But I think it's like we got to accept some realities here, bro. I'm sorry. Dang Josh. it. So I can't start a donut blog and just eat copious amounts of donuts? Well, maybe you could, but you'd but, have to – you have to be on a bike the rest of the day all day long yeah it'd be like treadmill treadmill donut eating there you go uh, go on tom well i think this kind of gets us into you know before we get in into too much of a therapy session for josh here um what you're bringing up though is you're talking about foods that are maybe unhealthy you're talking about your own body image and, and how that relates, um, something that we run into a lot is uh, at, at second, har- second Harvest. Okay, yeah, se- Second Harvest is that uh, a recent study came out that Americans throw away 50% of our food. And we're, I'm not just talking about like the stuff that's on our plate um, that or, you know, we buy something, we put it on, the, you know, we cook it and we only eat half of it. And then we just throw it away instead of putting it in Tupperware in the refrigerator and things like that. I'm talking about the stuff that we grow and that a lot of times wow. this food we grow and we just it goes straight from not from farm to table. It goes from farm to the dumpster because it's not perfect. Hmm. It, wow. it doesn't look perfect it's not the the ideal pepper uh you know a green bell pepper we know exactly what that should look like and heaven forbid it should be a little lumpy or you know twisted a little bit um apples have to look perfect bananas have to look perfect and so food that that automatically doesn't look perfect josh your body that maybe isn't to the world's view i knew this was coming i knew this was coming yeah it's not brad pitt or uh Ronaldo or Casper, you know, Jonah Hill or what's that chick's name? Seth Seth Rogen. That's that chick. Seth. (laughs) (laughs) But like, like 
I, I just think that this idea of that we search for perfect food, we search for organic food, we search for artisanal food that it, that is perfect, 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 gets us away from this. The, it, well, first of all, I think it translates to who we are as people, and and we have to have the perfect house, we have to have the perfect job, we have to have the perfect yeah. things in our house. We have to look a certain way. We have to have 2.5 children and a dog and things like that. Um, I, I, I think it, get, it it's all comes together in that way. And I just wonder, you know, what place do donuts have in this world? You know? Heaven. Why can't a donut get some love? Donuts are, donuts are a little piece of heaven, guys. Honestly, I mean, that, that's... It's like manna, isn't that? Like, yeah. What is it? Oh, it's a donut. That's what the Hebrews should have said. <laughs> Dude, you know, it was a sweet bread, right? That's what I'm saying. And if you think about like even, uh, you know, a lot of pagan rituals back in the OT times, raisin cakes were part of a, you know, pretty, pretty early on pagan ritualistic uh, forms of worship. There you go. There you go. I didn't know that. Um, To Tom's point, though, there is something to that. Like uh, maybe I'm extending this too far, but uh, this idea of almost – salvation in food, uh, right? We're, we're all looking for some sort of redemption, some sort of justification for our life, something that sort of validates us as people. And, and so for some people that may be like my house, but for some people that may be like, well, I just eat kale all the time, you know, like healthier than you. Right. Right. There's that sort of thing that says I'm okay because I do this. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think food plays plays a role in that, which, of course, then we see leading itself into all sorts of, tragically, all sorts of eating disorders as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's, I, I, I think that's a big leap. I, you know, we've been talking here about like donuts, and donuts are good, and donuts are okay if eaten in moderation. Uh, if we're exercising, eating other healthy things, it's okay to have a donut every once in a while. But then we get into this every once know. in a while, Dave. <laughs> well, my like, I'm trying to figure out. Like, I haven't spent time. I gotta admit, but I just read this article in the um, the Wall Street Journal. We get the newspaper um, on Saturdays, and there was this article about um, how gluten has got a bad rap or wheat has got a bad rap. And then yeah. now they're starting to say, Oh, it's okay to, to eat carbs again. That's what it was. Sorry. Carbs got a bad rap, but it's okay to eat carbs again. And they were talking about this whole like trend of farm to table, like growing the wheat and then getting it to, you know, your table as quick as possible. I don't They just run it straight there or something. But, um, I'm That's my job. Some- actually, I'm a wheat runner. so i'm like i'm waiting for or or maybe this is a maybe this is my calling i don't know but someone needs to make that donut that's like farm to donut like healthy donut you know what i'm saying genius uh they make paleo donuts i'm pretty sure well i haven't tried that i have tried the pop tart donut though down in san diego and that's pretty amazing seriously they put a whole pop tart inside Probably kicks that paleo donut. An entire Pop Tart inside of a donut? Yeah, dude. It's like that's ridiculous. It's like heaven had levels to visit San Diego just by itself. Yeah, if heaven had levels, that's like level up right there. 
I think you know, Portland does have levels. They, does it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Didn't uh, – who was that guy? Anyway. Um, Paul. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, but it's, it's funny. Brought up into the seventh heaven. Yeah, that's okay. Cool. Seventh Heaven was one of your favorite shows growing up. That's the only reason you referenced that game. And I believe Dante went the opposite way. When I and see their happy faces smiling back at me. How do you know the words of that theme song? How, because seriously. it was one of my favorite shows growing up. I'm sorry. It was about a pastor's kid. You pious SOB. It was that's me, man. all you are. Oh, man. I, yeah. I love Jessica. What's her name? Jessica Biel. Oh, she's days. Dude, is you Jen know, in the room? Is Jen in the room right with you right now? She's, cook, she's that cooking over there. I was supposed to be cooking, but now she, she took over cooking. Thanks, Jen. Said we thank talk about one. this every week, where our show gets the lowest reviews and people shut us off when you two start singing. And I thought we talked about that, Gabe. I don't think. Please. Listen, if they've made it this far into the show. They're pressing on, man. Like, especially with for the, no other yeah, reason the, than to say I suffered through. Plus, they know that we're going to have a donut giveaway at the end. That's of this. that's what we want our listeners to think. At the end of the show, they're like, "I suffered through." No, no, we don't want them thinking, "Man, I learned a lot there." Wow, I was entertained for an hour. Hey, that was a really great. No, we want them to think I suffered through. That well, listen, right. listen, we have suffered enough as a people. Um, when you talk about all these you know, reports that come out. Like Dave, you mentioned the whole thing about wheat and gluten all of a sudden. You know what I'm saying? Like they did that with wine. They did that with chocolate. Now they're doing that with, with wheat. So at some point, I wonder if our weird obsession with food has sort of got us turned around and running in circles. But before we continue to run in circles, it's about time we wrap this up. So we're going to go to break, listen to another track from Kokua. Dave, thank you so much for enlightening us on the world of donuts this episode. Yeah, man. Check out uh, check out my blog, donutblog.com. What about, Donut Kuku, what about Kukua Music? Oh, Give us a, a, a domain fun. for there, too. Go to kukuamusic.com. It's K-O-K-U-A music.com. Um, that, that new CD should be coming out uh, within the next few weeks, a couple weeks, available on, on all, the, all the places everywhere. <laughs> yeah, man, check out that song, God is Light, too. He plays that ukulele. Yeah. It's pretty sick. Awesome, man. Hey, real quick, Dave, are you coming to Austin anytime soon? Uh, tell me when, man. We'll be there. Okay. Go to Round Rock Donuts, too. But okay, also, sorry. I'll get you set up with some great donuts and a great place to play. Thanks Sounds for being great. here, man. Thanks Let's for having me. Let's go to break, yo. Kakua, check them out. Everybody. Uh, again, that was Kakua, our guest Dave. That's his band. Uh, we hope you enjoyed their tracks. Pretty fun. Check out his blog, by the way. Again, donutblog.com. Pretty sweet. It was awesome to have him on here. Uh, but we're going to give a few shout outs before we head out today. Josh, take it away. Listen, if you are in the market for the greatest source of artisanal firewood, you need to go to Axe Church Leander. Not only did they make their entire stage display out of 
artisanal firewood panels. But they have just piles of firewood in the lobby. And as you go in, you can pull off little shavings and take them home as a souvenir. Um, but if you're in the mood for some – You wouldn't understand. Actually, I would because I'm the most hipster of all three of us. So <laughs> anyway – uh, but if you're looking for just some down home country sweet tea, come on down to Brewer City, Chattanooga. Uh, we have one donut place called Cox Donut, and they tried to shut it down. And then there was a bunch of sign that said, uh, "Don't cock block donuts." Uh, so <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Uh, and on a much more serious note, if you're looking to actually solve hunger in America. Bold claim, Tom. Then you can check out <laughs> Second Harvest, Tom's place of employment. But most importantly, we want to give a shout out to Janet. She makes fantastic pies. And if there's does. one thing, if there's one thing that farmers love most, it's pie. It's a pie. So thank you, Janet. Continue to make delicious pies. It's one thing I love, that's for sure. No doubt. Well, hey, friends, uh, we are so grateful for your listenership and love to be on this adventure with you. Uh, if you'd like to become a regular, we certainly encourage that. Feel free to subscribe, share this with your friends, uh, and invite them to, to be a part of the, the PGP community. And uh, as, as we close up here, next time on Pint Glass Preachers, what time is it, Tom? It's fantasy football time. Nerd alert. That's right. Next time, we're going to be giving our, our thoughts on uh, fantasy football. We're going to be going through each position. We're going to be looking at boomer bus sleepers. Uh, it's going to be a challenge to bring Jesus into this whole thing. Uh, but mostly, we're probably just going to argue about Packers and Vikings for you know, nope. good 20, 30 minutes. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It'll actually be a pretty simple argument because the Vikings have never won anything. Uh, but it'll be great. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. And uh, we'll see you guys next time on Pint Glass Preachers. Thanks for joining us, y'all.